Magazines of Monsters, episode 48, Blackula and Scream, Blackula Scream. You shall pay, Black Prince. I curse you with my name. You shall be Blackula. Blackula. The Black Avenger, rising from his tomb to fill the night with horror. Blackula, Dracula's soul brother, deadlier even than he. You know, he is a strange dude. You're a nut that ran in front of my cab. You're the only imbecile on this street. Boy. Blackula. <laughs> Look at me. You'll find, I mean, you've got to be around here somewhere. I mean, now listen. You wait. You take your hands off of me. I don't know you. He thirsts for your blood. He hungers for your soul. Warm young bodies will feed his hunger. Hot. Fresh blood will quench his awful thirst. Thank you. I'm Bloody Mary. Are you, um, into the occult? No! How about the, uh, heavy stuff? What do you think of vampires? Vampires? I think they're possibly the most fascinating ball. More horrifying than Dracula. Black Avenger, Black Blackula, from American International Pictures. Hey everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange here, back with another recording for the show. And this is going to be a fun one, and it's been a long time coming for me, as I've wanted to uh, talk about this movie and its sequel for quite a long time now. And my guest here and I, we've been talking about it, oh, I think we planned this three or four months ago, but uh, here we are. We're recording it now, and I'm going to get this sucker out as soon as I can because uh, it's been too long to wait to talk about it. So I don't want to take too long to get it actually out there on the airwaves, but uh, uh, a new uh, guest to the show here, but somebody I've known for a while and part of the Superblog team up, and that's how I really got to know him, and that's my Mark Radulich. How are you, buddy? Hey, how's it going, man? It's going great. So you and I, we're, <laughs> I think we talked about this film. I think you, on your show, you covered it back in, was it February? So yeah, every February, and we've done the same thing now here in the month of June for Pride Month, we do a survey of films from uh, celebrating that particular month's um, I, I, ethnic focus. So we did a whole bunch of movies for Black History Month, and when I like to do a survey, I, there, there's this tendency to only want to focus on, like, the good things and not really look at the wide breadth and scope of the entire uh, ethnic cinema. So I made it a point to be like, you have to talk about, if you're talking about, like, movies in Black History Month, you're talking about authentic black cinema, you can't ignore black exploitation. And I think there's a conversation to be had about what good, bad, and ugly it has brought to black culture. So we did, uh, we'd already done in a previous Black History Month, the uh, Beverly Hills Cop trilogy and the Shaft trilogy from the 70s. So we finished up 
the Shaft movies with the two Samuel Jackson ones, and then we did uh, we did three classics from the seventies black exploitation era. We did Coffee, which is I believe Pam Grier's first movie. It's the one that led to Foxy Brown. Uh, we did Superfly, which was made famous by the Curtis Mayfield soundtrack. And then because I was working with a guy named Jason Teasley, who's a big fan of the horror genre, uh, we focused on Blackula, which is a classic and uh, black cinema horror, black cinema horror. So I had actually never seen Blackula before. What, and what a treat it was. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's one of those movies that when it came out, you know, I'm sure it did well because horror was doing really well in the early 70s. And then I think there were a lot of people, you know, like you said, especially from the minority community that were, you know, looking for stuff like this because you could go to any movie theater and see, you know, movies with a ton of non, you know, just like white people. But you weren't going to movie theaters and seeing a movie with just about an all black cast. I mean, there are a couple of white characters like the, you know, cops or whatever, but that's it. So. I'm assuming, you know, at the time, this was something that, you know, was something people were looking for in film. And I think it still stands up even to today just as a fun film. And of course, you know, 2022 vision, maybe things, you know, <laughs> some of the dialogue and things like that don't uh, hold uh, water. But, you know, for its time and, you know, the way things were at the time and people's, you know, vocabulary was at the time, I think it was pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a couple of things you could change and tweak here and there to make it a little less, uh, maybe rough around the edges, but I still enjoy it and have, you know, a good time watching this film. I'll, I'll tell you what, it I, I don't think people realize what a monumental movie it really was. First of all, I have the wiki up here. It was one of the top grossing films of the year uh, 1972, and mm -hmm. it was the first film to receive an award for best horror film at the Saturn Awards. And yeah. uh, between this one and its sequel, Scream Blackula Scream the following year, it inspired a wave of black exploitation themed horror films. <clears throat> and that right there, I, excuse me, that right there, I think, makes it worthy of conversation because I, I do think that you throw the term black exploitation out of there. First of all, you add exploitation to anything, and people get, you know, especially now in 2022, people get yeah. uh, a little nervous, people get a little offended. But, mm -hmm. you know, when you think about what this movie did, what movies like Truck Turner and, um, you know, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Revenge, uh, mm -hmm. Superfly, Coffee, Foxy Brown, when you think about like what this means to the, the, the you said it before, and, and I really want to make sure that this, this point is heard. People want to see themselves reflected on screen. And I think mm -hmm. most fair minded people know that to be properly represented on screen is to represent the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's, there's greatness in black culture. There's not so greatness in black culture. And I think black people have a tacit re re realization recognition that, to see an authentically black experience is to see it all good, you know, warts and all. Same thing with white people, same thing with any ethnicity. Um, recently, myself and Sean Comer reviewed Fire Island on Hulu, and that was very much a good, bad and ugly of uh, the gay community on Fire Island. You know, so it's like mm. I like movies like that. I like movies that show vibrancy in culture, not just a sanitized just, you know, it has to be perfect because we don't want to look bad to people looking bad as part of the human experience yeah for sure it, it's this this is a very honest movie with like i said with yeah. some of the you know dialogue and stuff like that it absolutely is for its time so you know looking at it through the lens of you know 1972 that's that's how things were whether it was good bad or ugly like you said
what I one of the things I love about Blackula, having watched it with Jason Teasley and reviewing it for Black History Month uh, in February, was that it definitely touches upon elements of black nationalism. You know, there's this idea mm-hmm. of like we are we are black, we are African, and we are reclaiming our power through this iconic horror character in Dracula. And mm-hmm. it very much was a a racial movie. And, you know, and it it put black people in a position of power, which was not a particularly uh, popular thing to do in the 70s. And and so I think people sometimes they hear the word black exploitation and they hear about blackula. I mean, blackula is a silly name. You know? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. You, you hear blackula, you're like, oh, boy, you know, he couldn't just be Dracula. He has to be blackula. Why? Because he's black. Get it? Do you get it? But. <laughs> it, but, at, you know, and at first blush, you're like, this is going to be insulting to black people far and wide. And then you realize, like, the guy that plays uh, William Marshall, I believe, who mm-hmm. you know plays uh, Dracula is amazing in this and how talented of an actor he is, what presence he commands. And there are some, like, genuinely scary moments with him. But also he has this commanding presence and no black person should be embarrassed by his performance in this, not by a country mile. Yeah, no way. You're not kidding. But all right. Well, let me see. Like directed by William Crane and then writing credits were uh, Joan Torres and Raymond Koenig. But yeah, like you said, cast wise, yeah, the lead was William Marshall. And uh, he played, you know, like kind of a dual character. You know, at the beginning of the film, it was a a guy named Prince Mama Walde. And uh, he was like an African prince, like super intelligent, you know, uh, great vocabulary kind of guy. Like this is the kind of guy you'd want. Like this guy was super smart. You know, uh, tough. He was a B.A. too. He was beating up like two or three guys at one point in the <laughs> first part of the movie here. So it was a, he was a really good and like I said, imposing character. He kind of reminded me of how like when Christopher Lee was Dracula in Hammer movies, like he's a six foot something like tall, imposing, you know, menacing kind of guy. That's how William Marshall was in this one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, I keep coughing. Um one of the things rewatching this and just remembering the conversation from February was it, it, you look at modern horror now and there's a gross out factor. It's about kills. Long, I, I think with the exception of maybe Malignant, I don't know if you got to see Malignant last year, but a few movies do. A few movies, a few horror movies that they do, I think, a really great job of building up tension it's all about getting to the kills and then making the kills look as graphic as possible. The artistic beauty of Dra- of Blackula, if one could use those words, is how they spend so much time in the movie just building up tension, you know. And then there's that release, and with each successive kill, it gets bigger and bigger until sort of a grand finale. And it's kind of a lost art in modern horror these days. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely like kind of in this era is when it slowly started to turn from, you know, less story driven uh, uh, horror films, especially and more into the, you know, special effects. And like you said, the kills and a little bit of gore and stuff like that. So for sure. Yeah, you're right on the money with that one. Yeah, I could see I could see modern audiences not appreciating the film craft and just being bored by this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's you're you're speaking the truth there. But and then, you know, hey, again, (laughs) William Marshall, like you said, the lead character in this one. But there were some other good supporting uh, 
cast members in this as well. And then <clears throat> especially if you're, you know, into some uh, lady eye candy, there were some <laughs> two very beautiful women in this one, uh, Vanetta McGee and Denise Nichols. I mean, they were very attractive ladies. Yes, they were. Denise Nichols uh, is extremely attractive. Um, I have to say, like, the supporting cast in Black Hill, there are some silly performances, especially, like, when you get to the first kill scene uh, in, at that time, modern times, where they're checking out the basement. I think it's, like, the hippies and, you know, the potheads or whatever. <laughs> it's a little over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but it's solidly entertaining. But, yeah, the, the, the it's a good-looking cast, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, they don't they they have some really strong, uh, you know, parts in this film for, you know, obviously minorities where like the one main guy is like a forensic, you know, scientist cop guy. So it's like it's not like he's, you know, a janitor. He's like mm-hmm. a really important role in not only the movie, but in something that's considered a really like, you know, high profile job in real life. Absolutely. It's funny, um, kind of looking at the wiki here, that uh, this is one of those movies. We talk about this in our movie review podcast, Damn You Hollywood, where some movies engender a disconnect between uh, the critical review and, like, the audience reception. And I think, I I don't know how much uh, of the critical reception in 1972 really understood what they were looking at when they were giving it bad reviews. I think upon reflection over the years, people have seen like the importance of the movie and are a little bit more forgiving of it. But I think the other thing is like the style of movie making has changed. Like, I don't know if you can make like a Hitchcockian movie now, <laughs> you know, like no. I've just seen, like I just saw Jurassic world. I don't know when this is coming out. So this might date the podcast, but I just saw Jurassic world dominion. And you think about like movies like that. And you think about, you know, the birds or psycho or something or blackula. And you're like, wow, <laughs> you would lose half your audience now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, and like I said, to a lot of it's just technology has so advanced so much too. you know, practical effects really aren't any, no, nobody under the age of probably 35 at this point would even really, I don't know if I would say appreciate practical effects, but they've just been inundated with, you know, so much special effects. Um, it's just, it's hard to recognize that stuff for how good it actually was back in the day. <laughs> All right. So, you know what? I'll just, at this point, I'm going to just do a, a little, there's a, you know, a little quick uh, IMDB here, uh, storyline that says about this uh, film. It's, you know, just, you know, one little paragraph, and then we can just jump right into uh, you know some of sure. the great favorite scenes and stuff. So an 18th century African statesman is transformed into a vampire cursed with the name Blackula and entombed in Dracula's castle after he fails to convince the Count to support him in his cause to end the slave trade. 200 years later, a pair of interior decorators transport his coffin to L.A., where he awakes with an unquenchable thirst for human blood. As Blackula pursues a woman who resembles his long-dead wife, her brother-in-law, a pathologist, investigates the string of carnage that follows in the vampire's wake. So thank you, Molly Rose Steed of IMDb here for, <laughs> for uh, helping us out there. But yeah, that's like I do. I do want to say, too, it's like I said, some of the parts here and there, you know, are kind of a little corny or whatever. But I really do like the uh, first like it's like a really long intro scene before you even get the credits of, you know, like we said, like this uh, the African prince and his wife. Uh, they're at a you know, I guess they had some kind of big dinner at Dracula's castle and 
you know, back before he was, you know, notorious for, you know, vampirizing hundreds or thousands of people. So, you know, it's really cool how that starts out. And, you know, once uh, uh, Prince Mama Waldy, you know, William Marshall's character kind of figures out that Dracula is basically okay with slavery, he kind of is like, all right, I'm out of here. But then Dracula, you know, really uh, has like a kind of like a, you know, uh, a hard on for his wife here. So he has his, his thugs come in and, you know, knock him out and he bites him and he's going to just keep her for his own. But then he ends up, you know, locking him in a, a coffin and chucking her in this little room. And, you know, she has to die in there with him. And it's a really cool scene there. I really like that. You know, it's a really long intro scene. Yeah. It was the same, <clears throat> it was the same thing with scream Blackula scream where I was watching that for the first time actually today. And I was thinking to myself, like, <laughs> we're like, I feel like we're halfway through the movie and we haven't even gotten to the credits yet. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, yeah. have, you, have you seen have you seen Fresh yet on Hulu? No, I have not. Okay, I don't want to give it away, but the 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 I don't want to give away the big like shocking twist in it. And I know you want to focus on Blackula. The movie's about an we get about an hour into the movie before there's like a big reveal and then the credits roll. It I knocked it knocked <laughs> me clear out of my seat. It was the weirdest thing. It's great. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, it's yes. interesting. Like I said, this usually back then you didn't see that. And I mean, even overall in cinema, you usually don't see a super long uh, scene like that before you get your credits. No. And then no. And then I do love the uh, credit scene, too, by the way. It's like got like this, you know, jazzy music and really cool and it's got this like animated bat like chasing these girls around in this <laughs> i really like that like i don't know i don't know who's responsible for that you know in the credits here but that was really cool i thought that was for 1972 that was pretty neat it was <clears throat> and i thought it really like set the tone for what the movie was going to be and it was th- i've been thinking about all the other movies from the 70s that i've watched and you know you think about like, like the james bond 70s movie some of the other um exploitive movies of the 70s from different genres like spaghetti westerns that sort of thing but my my favorite exploitation non-sploitation it's usually <laughs> like <laughs> it's usually like they they, they if, if then if there's like an intro it's like maybe two minutes and then you're into a long jazzy uh song and credits and everything like that they they most movies follow a similar pattern this one was this one really stands outside the box in a way with the way that it's presented and, and it uh i think it does a good job of drawing you in though because you're like you're immediately kind of hooked like what is happening here why why is this taking so long to start you're like oh my god and then the credits start you'll and then you see the song and everything in the uh in the bat and like okay i i don't this is this is different from everything coming out at the time and watching it in 2022 it was almost like quaint especially given you know I, I had just seen Scream at the time, the, the fifth Scream movie, and mm. how direction styles have changed. I remember um, watching Eight Mile and, and people doing interviews with Eminem and criticizing the movie and talking about Eight Mile for a modern movie was one of the few where they just let the camera stand still on the actor for a few minutes. You know, yeah. and and that was definitely the 70s. Like if you look at um other movies of the era like deliverance or the deer hunter how much time uh a scene takes to unravel uh as opposed to the way movies are made now where everything is quick cuts and you're moving along you're moving along and nothing stays still for very long yeah i think you know social media has kind of curtailed even films to be in a very quick like everything's got to move very quickly or else they feel like they're going to lose people you know like everybody wants to 
you know, move on in, you know, a quick video, a quick YouTube video or a TikTok or something. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, yeah. Have you ever tried to watch the 77 Star Wars, original Star Wars movie with a child? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Why is it taking so long to blow up that ship? It's like, well, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it's just like like the opening, like the the opening uh, overhead shot of the uh, the Star Destroyer. You're like, why is this taking forever? You know, (laughs) and then the droids like I remember as a kid, like you watch it and like the droids land on Tatooine and you're like, oh, we're on an adventure here. What's going to happen to C-3PO? And it's not that long after that that you meet Luke. Yeah, try watching that with a kid now. That Tatooine scene takes takes days to get through. (laughs) <laughs> like, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, and they're probably like, why are these ships so slow? <laughs> yeah, that's when you, oh, you got to yeah. throw on, like, the Phantom Menace. Like, here, fine, watch the pod race. That was It was made for you anyway. Mm-hmm. You're not kidding, but... <laughs> yeah, cinema has definitely changed tremendously, especially since the 70s. That's no doubt about that. <laughs> but, uh, so what else then we got to? We got to, yeah, like you said, there's a scene with those two interior decorator guys, and they end up getting killed and becoming the first victims of uh, Blackula here. And um, it doesn't take long for him to, uh, for some reason, this is what, something I didn't understand, though. So he kills these two guys. And then we go to a scene where there's like a funeral home. And that's when we meet the other, you know, main characters of the show, uh, of the movie, you know, Vanetta McGee and Denise Nichols. And then uh, oh, the other guy, I can't remember his name, that was the forensic, you know, scientist, pathologist, you know, policeman guy. And they're at a funeral home because the one guy that died was a friend of theirs. And for some reason, Blackula's creeping around at the funeral home. <laughs> I was like, why is he even there? <laughs> it just makes no sense. But he sees, that's when he sees uh, Vanetta McGee's character. And she, you know, obviously looks exactly like his uh, wife from his previous uh, life because it's the same actress. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's really it's, it was it was amusing stuff. Yeah, he's like, "Wow, you look like my uh, you know my wife from two hundred years ago." And I'm thinking, "Yeah, because it's the same actress." But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was great. But um, I love that when <laughs> the uh, the the three of them then head out, and or I'm sorry, the two of them stay. The guy that's the pathologist and his you know girlfriend or wife or whatever they at least live together. I'm not sure if they're married, but they at least live together and. Uh, you know, Tina leaves and as she's walking home, Blackula, like, you know, he just comes up to her and he's like, you know, uh, hey, baby. And she's just like thinking he's like a mugger or something. And she takes off. And that leads to my favorite scene of the film. Probably a lot of people's favorite scene of the film when uh, Blackula gets hit by a, a cab. <laughs> <laughs> that is OK. It took me a minute to realize, to realize what you were talking about. But yeah, that feel, that scene is hysterical. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Lady cab driver. As you could imagine, probably a man or lady cab driver would have been in the 1970s. (laughs) They're just like, what the hell are you doing running out in front of my cab? And at first he's just like, you know, he gets up after getting hit by the cab like it, you know, didn't even do anything. No broken bones or anything. And he's all pissed off because he uh, lost uh, the trail of Tina. And he he mentions like, oh, I lost her. (laughs) And the lady cab driver says, what does she say to him? Something like, you're not even hurt. And she's like, you're lucky you could get killed. Your chasing tail could get you killed, she says to him. <laughs> I love that part. Hmm. <laughs> so funny. Yes, it and was very a, much so. Yeah, and there's a lot of club scenes in this one, too, where, you know, there's a band and they're up there going to town singing and everybody's in a club having a good time. So I really like those scenes, too, because I thought to myself, like, when I think of the 70s in my brain, 
that's what I think of. Like everybody was out doing that. Now, not obviously they weren't, but that's what I think of. I don't know if it's this movie that put that in my brain or Saturday Night Fever or what it was, but that's what I think of. Yeah, I well, you know, it's so funny. I, I just watched. Sorry, you're gonna have be on this. People are gonna get your feedback is gonna be how many movies does this guy watch and reference in a single conversation? The answer is all of them. Um, but. <laughs> So we recently re- watched and reviewed Boogie Nights, and you know Boogie Nights takes place in the late seventies, early eighties, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, span. But like, how much of the seventies was party atmosphere, clubs, you know, club whatever the number fifty four or whatever it was, mm-hmm. you know, so so much of that. And so like, how do you you know you want to do a modern vampire story? How do you not? And you're you're shooting it in the seventies because that's when this movie takes place. How do you not do it in the club? Like you, you would be leaving out like a big part of the culture if you didn't do it there. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you had to have. So, um, but yeah, those are some fun scenes too in there. And you know, uh, uh, at, when they're at the club, the one time, you know, Denise Nichols, Finnegan McGee's characters and stuff like that, they're all there at the club, and uh, Blackula shows up there, and he has uh, he ended up getting her purse she dropped when she was uh, running away from him. Uh, Tina so he brings it back to her and all of a sudden it goes from you know him chasing her in the streets and her thinking he's a mugger to him bringing her first to the club and she's like oh I, hey I uh, I kind of dig this guy so <laughs> she invites him to come sit down with them and some of those interactions are funny between him and the the cop uh, Gordon the pathologist I like some of that too they had some back and forth and they said something about the, the body being missing from the morgue and he's like maybe he wasn't dead <laughs> I'm like oh you're showing about- your hand already <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second? About like how yeah. Blackula treats them. Like, so I was thinking about, um, oh God, what's the name? Not Spiral. Uh, Saw. You know, Saw, mm-hmm. every, every, when everyone thinks of Saw, they think of the contraptions, the traps. But if you ever watch an actual Saw movie, uh, it's a murder mystery. Who is killing these people? Who is setting these traps? How is, how is he getting those people? Especially Spiral, which is the last one with Chris Rock was very much a detective story. What I like about Blackula is it's not just a vampire story. He's working opposite a murder investigation. And so it's like, things are happening. Why are they happening? Stuff's not adding up. No, this might look like it might be a vampire. No, vampires aren't real. It has to be something else. I like the tone of the movie because one of the things I talked about with Jason when we reviewed this was how often I don't feel like the people who made the movie are taking it seriously. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're treating it with a sense of camp or they're treating it as slight or flip, you know, or just a job. You can tell like there was time and effort and care put into Blackula and the tone of the movie is actually serious. Like what if a vampire was running around the seventies and there after a, a little while, after you like the initial setup of like slavery and the Black Prince and all of that, the fact that he's black is almost inconsequential. Like mm-hmm. it, it, the what I what I like about Blackula is that it doesn't rest <laughs> just just by way of comparison. It's not Pootie Tang, whereas like this is all <laughs> about making fun of black culture. Um, mm-hmm. Another one we did for Black History Month, uh, by the way. The, you know, the Pootie Tang was absolutely and Soul Plane was another one. It was absolutely all about making fun of black culture, uh, black people in the culture, you know, and, and just sort of taking the piss out of a lot of things. Black people not doing that. This isn't a parody. This is very much mm-hmm. 
a serious horror slash murder mystery and the characters are treating it seriously. And like there's moments of levity, thankfully, in the movie. But like, you know what I mean? Nobody is uh nobody is winking and nudging the camera throughout these performances. Like they are taking it stone cold serious, which I appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. I'm totally on with you that way. That's that's exactly right. It's everybody I feel like that was in this movie, nobody, you know, read the script and thought Oh, yeah, I'll do this movie. It'll be hilarious. You know, what I mean, everybody's like, oh, yeah, right. this sounds pretty cool, you know, and I, I again, you, you can when you watch this movie, especially, you know, more than once, you really get that feeling. Absolutely. I'm right on the right on the same page with you there. Gonna get together in the end and tell me what the world knows about love. Tell me how it could have been if I had known more about love. Yes, you do. How are you doing tonight? Sit down, have a drink. Thank you very much. We're thoughtful of you. Hi, what do you have? Thank you. I'm Bloody Mary. Mama Waldy, maybe you can help me. Are you um, into the occult? Oh, it has some fascination. How about the uh, heavy stuff? Uh, witchcraft, voodoo, devil worship. Well, we can't ignore what the world characterizes as the black arts, now can we? Mm. I think that there's some truth in all of it. I've come to that conclusion myself. What do you think of vampires? Vampires? I think they're possibly the most fascinating of all. Do you uh, believe they exist? Well, does the devil exist? People have believed so for thousands of years. You seem well informed. Oh, perhaps. The police have a theory about these killings. Now, are we to assume that they believe a vampire or some other such creature is responsible? A vampire? That's However, many in the department uh, don't believe it. Now, I would think that to be the vampire's greatest defense. <laughs> You're right. Still, they're organizing a search. Search? Yeah, find his resting place, the vampire's coffin. Perhaps the modern vampire doesn't require a coffin. <laughs> they are rather elusive, you know. But yeah, it seems like, you know, like you said, it's almost like it, uh, Blackula here is, you know, pitting his wits against uh, Gordon, uh, the pathologist, the cop who's trying to figure yeah. out what's going on here. So a lot of that is, you know, them jousting back and forth or, you know, trying to figure out what the other one's doing, because eventually Gordon kind of figures it out, you know, that that's really what's going on, even though, you know, at first or even halfway through, you know, the cops don't believe him. They think he's nuts when he <laughs> he kind of says what he thinks going on. But you know, eventually he does, you know, convince them that that's what's going on here. There's a vampire. And I do like that one scene, too, later on in the film where, uh, you know, he does convince, like I said, the the lieutenant, uh, Lieutenant Peters, I think his name is uh, Gordon Pynchon, uh, to, that that's what's going on. So they go to this warehouse where they thought 
hey, we've kind of triangulated where we think uh, the vampire's coffin is. So him and Gordon and a couple of cops uh, go there. And like all the other co- all the other people that have been vampirized are there and they kind of like, you know, jump them and start biting another couple of cops and, you know, they fight them off. And <laughs> I love how they have these randomly uh, spontaneously combusting uh, lamps with oil in them. They're not lit or nothing. They just throw a lamp and it hits and it explodes, turns into fire mm-hmm. immediately. <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> is that how that works? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> every every car that ever has an accident also explodes in Hollywood. That you know everything is made of you know uh, jet fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and then you know they kind of fight them all off, and they think they're going to just walk out of there. And then you know Blackula shows up, and he basically says that you know he could take them out now, but he doesn't care because he you know he wants to you know shack up with Tina because you know basically his life got taken away from him by Dracula two hundred years ago, and he he kind of just wants that back. And I thought that was something. At some point in this movie, he kind of, you know, switched from, you know, I think it was once Tina's character started to like warm up to him and show interest in him and be like, hey, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm believing when you tell me I'm reincarnated, a reincarnated version of your wife and started kind of like falling for him that, you know, he kind of thought like, I I don't want to, I don't care about fighting the cops or biting people anymore. I just want to like kind of settle down with this girl. And that was an interesting part of the movie. So it's funny. It reminded me of something that happened today. So you're a comics person, obviously. You're part of the Superblog team up. So you'll you'll get this and really appreciate the humor here. Um, my both my kids were like, you know, Thanos's Thanos's plan in the movies to kill off half the people in the universe, as opposed to just create infinite amounts of resources with the Infinity Gauntlet, pretty dumb. And I said it is, but you have to understand where it was coming from in the comics. Um. And in the comics, he does it to <laughs> impress a girl. And my feminist 11-year-old daughter and my 8-year-old son are like, are, are you effing kidding me? Like, what? <laughs> impress yep. a girl. And I'm like, he totally did. Thanos in the comics is a lovesick puppy. And, mm-hmm. you know, and men, and you know this, you know that, you know, I don't know how much you've done to impress the ladies, but you know, we as men... You know, to, to try to get a gal's attention on us, we'll do all kinds of dumb stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, <laughs> and we'll you know, yeah, we we will absolutely spread our peacock feathers to get their attention. And so that's what Thanos did. He killed half the people in the universe because he wanted to impress Lady Death. And you know, and of course, she cold shoulders him. You know how the Infinity Gauntlet goes. But mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> so like, and they're like, wait, what does this have to do with relating it back to Blackula? You know, it, it comes down to. I have an infinite amount of power. I, you know, I will live forever. I can do this. I can do that. But all I really want is the attention of a pretty gal. I just want the love of my life. And it's so funny because that's when you think about like the the great motivations in in, in cinema history. It's always what, what did Sam Raimi say at the beginning of Spider Man? As as with all stories, this one's about a girl, which made mm-hmm. me want to shoot myself in the face. But let's let's not focus <laughs> on that. <laughs> um, yeah, if I, and I go ahead. So yeah, sorry. if I if I could give Thanos some advice, I would have said marry young dude, and then you don't have to worry about impressing anybody. I, I, if I could give Thanos some advice, I would say don't marry at all because ten years later she'll want an open marriage. So you know, either way, just stay. <laughs> well, hey, you never know. But yeah, he, you, you never know. Lots of ways. There's lots of ways to get out of that scenario. He's in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanos, just be single. You'll be a lot happier. There's, there's got to be more women in the cosmos. You have the Infinity Gauntlet. 
Mm. Get a hobby, dude. Just dive into it. Just start collecting comics. You'll never get out of that. Yeah, really. Like, start a <laughs> podcast. It'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah, you'll, that's a black hole you'll never get out of. <laughs> <laughs> Join us, Thanos. One of us. One of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, but yeah, this one, I mean, this has got a really crazy ending, too. So I want to make sure we talk about that. But so yes. at some point, it, it, some, at some point, it kind of is like, you know, Blackula and uh, Tina are on the run because the cops are after them and mm. they go to this insane underground chemical plant or something it is. And I'm like, does this thing really exist? Are there really do they really have these in the real world? This is just a movie thing because that doesn't sound like a great idea. <laughs> I've, yes. I've never heard of I've never heard of one of these. I'm thinking like uh, and you're going to drink the water anywhere near there. No, thanks. Yeah, that seemed crazy to me. Yeah, but, you know, the cops eventually <laughs> in trying to, well, first, Blackula, he slaps down about a dozen cops. And some of the death mm -hmm. scenes are hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah, chucks one guy off of like a three-story, you know, <laughs> catwalk. I was going to say, this, this was not directed by John Woo. Um, they, were, they were not concerned no. with cool-looking kills here. No, and then at one point he picks up like a 55-gallon drum and chucks it at a guy and <laughs> smashes his hand in. So it's pretty some pretty wild uh, death scenes in this one. But at some point, yeah. uh, Tina, Tina and Blackula are like running that down like a corridor and a cop shoots her and she's going to die. And she's like, help me, help me. And he's just like, well, screw it. He's like, I'll just bite her and she'll be a vampire and she'll live forever too. I didn't really want to do it, but this is the only way to save her. And of course, you know, that comes back to, you know, <laughs> haunt him in the in, in a few minutes as uh, somebody runs into Tina as she's already, you know, vampire fangs and everything running around. And uh, she ends up uh, seeing her doom and, you know, Blackula can't take it anymore. So he's going to, you know, he's going to take care of himself. And I couldn't <clears throat> believe that scene when I first time I saw this movie. Can I take the balls on this movie for doing it that way? Like, seriously? Yeah, I think I mean, because. What I hate about a lot of modern movies now is the, the the bad guy is overpowered, but then they find some kind of workaround or some, you know, some sort of cheap way of defeating him or just some way that doesn't make any degree of sense, given the power set that you gave him. I like the fact that Black Lewis was like, no, I give up, you know, without <laughs> he he has the uh, the Padme thing going on. I I, I am I have, I have died of a broken heart, which everybody makes fun of that in <laughs> Revenge of the Sith because it's ridiculous. But you know, here, it. I think the idea of without my one true love, what is the point of going on? You know, I think about like Lestat in um, uh, Interview with the Vampire, where mm. you know these these. It's a common enough theme in in immortal literature about immortals, where if I don't have a good reason to keep going on, inertia is not enough. Maybe I just need to sleep for a while. Maybe I need to just kind of turn you know turn it off and go away for a bit because with with you know without love or without some sort of ambition without a purpose to get up in the morning immortality is wasted and so i kind of like the idea that he isn't taken down in some way they don't find a way to defeat him he's like i there's no point i don't want i don't want to live anymore and so i'll just get back in the coffin and go back to sleep and i'm like huh that's ballsy because I can see a lot of people really like not appreciating the bravery in which that's written and wanting a more quote unquote satisfying ending. When they say satisfying is they want to defeat the video game boss. 
because that's the culture mm-hmm. that we're all brought up in. Like I'm in my 40s, but now in my late 40s, and uh, you know we all grew up on on video games, and the only way to progress through a video game is you defeat the bad guy. That's mm-hmm. the way a lot of movies end too. Um, so it was nice to go back and see a movie like this. It was just like, nope, I've died of a broken heart, and I just want to go back to sleep now. I'm like, huh, I'm impressed. Yeah, it was wild. I mean, although now you mentioned Interview with the Vampire and Spider-Man, I feel like we're having the six degrees of Mary Jane Watson here because she was in both of those films. <laughs> that actress, oh. Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> oh, take take my hand, Bill. I'll take you through all the history of film here. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like I said, the first time I watched this movie, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've seen a bazillion horror movies. Either they're going to stake him and kill him, and I knew there was a sequel, I think, at this point, too. So I thought somehow they're going to bring him back, but either they're going to stake him and kill him or it's going to look like he's dead or he's going to get away. And then at the end of the movie, I was just like, holy crap, he just like basically killed himself. You know, he says to the cops, like, don't even worry about trying to stake me. I don't even want to go on anymore. And he actually walks out into the sunlight and it cooks him. Yeah, I just I couldn't believe it. I did. That was if you said, well, how do you think this is going to end? That, you know, option never would have ran across my brain, like not in a million years. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's why right. I forgot. That's why right. I forgot. I, I, I thought he went back in the coffin, but you're right. He just kind of walks into the sun like, the, like there's no point. Yeah, that's it's just I, wild. I, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> couldn't believe how that agreed, ended. I, I was, yeah, that's like you said, that took balls to do it that way, because, again, no other horror film I'd ever seen had something like that happen. So that's like a first. And I'll tell you, um, not not to be completely off topic here, but like if you ever talk about talk to um, African American people, like suicide's not a huge part of their culture, you know. Like for all the for for all the um, problems that they've had from gener- one generation to the next, you know, post traumatic stress disorder, substance abuse, other mental health issues, uh, and depending on which area of the world you're talking about, you know endemic poverty, things like that. The one thing you don't hear a lot about outside of maybe, um, you know, my field of my, my field of work, which is uh, incarceration, correctional, uh, is suicide. And so that's another element of the ballsiness of this is that your lead character, your big male strapping lead character, black character, like commits suicide right there on screen. Like that's huge. That 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 mm-hmm. that's that's a messaging there that I I would imagine a lot of people were like not tremendously comfortable with. Yeah, that was wild, and you make a good point because you know you know different cultures have different problems, but like you're saying, now that you sit, if I sit back and think about it, yeah, that really isn't something that is you know you hear about as one of the problems in the in those uh, neighborhoods and societies and stuff like that. So yeah, that's a good point. Well, thank you. I'm smart. that's why i'm having you on here (laughs) so all right well why don't we roll into the sequel here we'll talk about that for a little bit so only one year later 1973 and we get scream blackula scream and this one you know had a different director uh bob kilgen never heard of him but uh you know same writers here and uh but you know other than the main character we had blackula you know william marshall returned uh but other than that all do different uh cast here and of course there was you know a big name in this one, and that was uh, Pam Greer. So, you know, one of the uh, super mm. hotties of the 70s and exploitation films in this one. So I'm sure she got some people to come to the box office. So I'm trying to see where... Okay, this was the follow-up to Coffee, as a matter of fact. 
Um, so just mm. looking at Pam, you're looking at Pam Greer's uh, filmography. You've got uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, where she's just a party goer. The Big Doll mm. House. Women. Again. So yeah, Pam Greer's like early, early, early black exploitation Greer was the women in prison movies because you know. My, my son hates it when I purr. He's like walking past me right now. He's like, please stop purring. And like, listen, buddy, I understand you're eight years old, but someday you're going to see Pam Greer behind a pair of bars and you're going to purr too because we all do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, I'll tell you about it when you're older. All right. So we have the, in the ni- 1972, we have the Twilight People, Cool Breeze, The Big Bird Cage, another, po- another really popular one, Hitman. And then one of my personal favorites in 1973, Black Mama, White Mama. And then coffee, you know, and that's like the big one. That's mm-hmm. that's her big starring role, you know, where she where she kind of breaks out of the women in prison stuff, and she's doing something um, that that would really set the tone for the rest of her career. But then immediately after coffee is bling, is a uh, scream, Blackula scream, mm-hmm. and then yeah. a year later is the arena and um, Foxy Brown, and then Sheba Baby, Bucktown, Friday Foster, and we are off to the races with Miss Greer. The might again, might I say, of Miss Greer? <clears throat> yeah, she was in a crap load of movies. You know? well, I yes, think she was. She she was just on in something television wise, at least within the last couple of years, wasn't she? I think she's still acting. Yeah, um, television. <clears throat> television. She was on a show called uh, "Bless This Mess." Um, she's done some television movies. She was in Smallville as Amanda Waller in 2010. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yeah. She was in The L Word. Um, she was the main cast of that. Uh, she has an episode here, an episode there, in a bunch of things. As far as movies go, her last movie was Palms, P-O-M-S, in 2019. And then before that, she was in Bad Grandmas and Being Rose. Um, and... Uh, between 2012 and 2017, she didn't seem to do a lot of uh, movie roles. I mean, I think the last thing she did that people might remember would be like Jackie Brown. And Jackie Brown was in 1997, which is awesome, by the way. I love Jackie Brown. Yeah, that was like a big comeback for her, if I remember. She hadn't been in very much for a while or more lower yes. profile stuff. And that was huge. Yeah, that was huge for yeah. her, which you know, is cool. Was- she deserves it. Quentin Tarantino, man, you know, he re- he rejuvenated um what's his nuts his career john travolta because you know he rescued quote unquote he rescued him from the talking baby movies he rescued pam greer like i have to say there's a lot of people that trip over themselves to work with quentin tarantino but quentin tarantino when he you know when he looks back on his own like history of film appreciation he'll find those actors and he'll put them in something and they'll they'll have a good career for a while i mean it might not last that long but for a little while there, you'll be you'll be the toast of the town. And, you know, so for all of Quentin Tarantino's faults, and believe me, I don't find him to be a perfect human being. I have my issues with him. Not as many as Kevin Smith, who went, you know, who I have <laughs> advocated for in my own podcast. Please get this man laid so he'll stop tweeting. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, all right. Well, you know, this movie's a bit different than the first one. Um, there's, yeah, it is. It's actually, actually, it's a lot different in some ways. So let me Ugh. just launch into a, a little synopsis here. We'll talk about this one, too. So uh, when the Mama Loa of a voodoo cult dies, there's an argument over who will succeed her. When the popular vote is for Lisa Fortier, which is Pam Greer, cult member Willis 
played by Richard Lawson, vows revenge. In a misguided attempt to gain power over his enemies, he acquires the bones of Prince Mama Waldi, a.k.a. Blackula, again played by William Marshall, and resurrects the vampire. Blackula vampirizes Willis and places him under his control. As vampirism spreads among the circle of friends and cult members, Blackula takes an interest in Lisa after meeting her at a party thrown by Lisa's love interest, Justin, played by Don Mitchell. Justin is a collector of African art, and Mama Waldi sees, among other artifacts, a necklace once worn by his beloved wife, Luva. Blackula is interested in Lisa because he believes she can lift the curse upon him by casting a voodoo spell and performing an exorcism. Justin begins to work with the police in order to solve the recent spate of bloodless corpses and disappearing victims and quickly makes the connection to Mama Waldi. Lisa is at first sympathetic to Mama Waldi's situation and agrees to go through with the exorcism, but they are interrupted by Justin and the policeman he has brought with him to eradicate the vampire. Infuriated that the rite of exorcism was interrupted, especially since it seemed to be working, Blackula goes on a rampage and begins to kill the policeman, eventually threatening Justin. So, all right, I'll stop there. So <laughs> let's start out with this one. So this one had an interesting beginning to it as well. So there's like a total, like, total different angle uh, with Voodoo. Oh, my God. This one. The yeah. beginning of this movie takes like 20 minutes. It's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And it's not like it takes 20 minutes and then there's the credits. Like the first one had that long intro scene. It's just a really long, you know, intro and not much going on. Yeah, I, I okay. So my big problem with sequels in general is I don't think the people making them know why the first one was successful. And so they just take what they think are the elements of the sequ of the original and like, well, we'll just do that again, but different. And that'll be enough because those things are what must have people, what people must have been tuning into. Um, and that's often not the case. I think, I think when you have a fundamental misunderstanding of why something resonates with people and then you go to recreate it, you end up creating almost like a, a bad cover song of the original. And yeah, I didn't, I did not love scream Blackula scream. And I do feel like this one was like, Oh, well the first one made money. So let's do it again without really appreciating what Blackula brings to the table. So like this, there's this long intro scene because the first one had a long intro scene and it's not nearly as effective. Um, there, and I'll let, I'll let you kind of break it down scene by scene so I don't get too far ahead of you. But I remember, like, I was just, I just watched this today and I was like, does this ever get to a plot? <laughs> like, this is just. <laughs> <laughs> I do like, think. There are, some there are some clear motivations for Blackula in the first one, and there's definitely a plot. They're trying to find out why murders are happening. This one, I was having, I was struggling. Yeah, this one, and it's funny too, and I don't know if it's just because of, you know, Pam Greer being in it or what, but there were some people online and I was reading about acting as if this one was better than the first one, and I thought, what are you smoking? There's no way this is better than the first one, because like no. you said, they just basically took the first movie, threw in voodoo, and it's the same thing. It's him, you know, running around, <laughs> biting a bunch of people, be beating up a bunch of cops. It's like, it's not right. that much different. Why? Yeah. Uh, what, how, how are we going to make Black, Scream Blackula scream different from Blackula? I don't know. Black people are in it. Uh, voodoo. That literally seems like the thought that they put into this. Yeah, it really does. I mean, hey, listen. Right now, I'm going to call it. If you want to see a good black exploitation horror film with zombies in it, go watch Sugar Hill. That one's way better than <laughs> Scream Blackula scream. That's a good Fair enough. One. Yeah, that one's fun. But yeah, it's just, you know, I get the... I like out there how there's a little bit of drama with the whole voodoo cult and that Willis guy and thinking he's going to get it. And, 
you know, it gets given to Lisa instead, you know, the control of it or whatever. So it's like, okay, that's something a little bit different from the first one. And like you said, voodoo, a little bit different from the first one, but it quickly devolved into just, again, him just, you know, evading the cops, running around, biting people. And then you get to, you know, there, and there's no cool, not really any cool club scenes in this one too. Like there were in the first no. one, like, well, you could have emulated that at least. <laughs> let me, let me throw this out there. Pam Greer rises to the level of the material she's given. She's a fine actress, and, you know, obviously she's an attractive mm -hmm. woman. But, it, you know, if I could not utterly sexualize her for just a moment. Um, she's, she's, a very, <laughs> <laughs> she's a very talented actress, but I think sometimes, like, there are some actresses that can elevate material, and then there are actors where, you know, they might be given subpar material, but they make it better by the strength of their performance. My feeling about Pam Greer, she's one of these actresses where if the material is not good, she's not going to be great. I think she'll try her damnedest. And I think she gets away, especially in her, her younger years, she gets away with being a very attractive woman. So it's a little bit more forgiving. But I but I also think that when she's, you know, when she's given something really, really good, she shines. You know, she's she's able to rise to that level. The problem with what they gave Pam Greer here is it's not much. And like, mm -hmm. I, there's a, there's a, there's a scene about 40 minutes into it, like at a party where she has to kind of like stutter and like lose, she loses her memory momentarily. And I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, you're so much better than this, Pam. Come on. And it's yeah. not good. It's not good at all. She definitely, I'm sure in like the casting people's eyes were, was brought into this movie because she was just like a super hottie. You know what I mean? She had been only been oh, yeah. in a couple of films and she's a super gorgeous woman. So it's like, Hey, and like half they, naked. You know, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, well, that's the thing. So in this movie, you really didn't see much skin here. She was usually pretty clothed up in all her scenes here. There were no right. skimpy outfits or nude scenes or anything at all of her in this movie. Like, again, you don't need that to just look at her and think, holy crap, is she hot? But there was none of that in this film, which kind of like blows my mind a little bit now. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wow, they didn't even try or did they try? And she was like, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> if you want me to be <laughs> in this film, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? But yeah. I yeah, mean, she's... it's weird because she definitely tits out in other movies. So I don't know like why she's like drawing a line with this one, but maybe that's not what they wanted her for here. Like, you know, just just send your just just lend your gravitas to the movie, Pam. Like it was some CD, you know, <laughs> script writer or something. Yeah. So but yeah, this one, like I said, it was to me, it's very subpar compared to the first one. There were a couple yeah. of scenes that, you know, again, now, you know, in the you know 2020s, I will laugh at them. I know, first and foremost is uh the scene with Black Yellow walking down the street and two pimps uh, try to accost him. <laughs> I love, <laughs> love that That's scene. That's hilarious. My yeah. my favorite scene is when they're running through the house. I want to say it's like like the first Black Yellow kill in the movie, maybe about 30 minutes into it. And the woman in the like push up bra and like the blue dress. I, I, I it cracks me up because you don't you just don't see this anymore. And like now when Ghostface is chasing women, you know, little slight girls around the house. They're kicking and they're punching and they're they are making a run for it. You know, they are not just they are not running from one side of the house to the other, being cornered and just fainting and screaming. Yes. yes. <laughs> we talked. Have you ever seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Mm hmm. Yep. OK, so that last hour of the movie is just that blonde girl screaming, like literally yeah, like nonstop <laughs> running from one end of the cornfield to the other, screaming her head off. That's the whole damn movie. <laughs> and so that scene 
was like I mean it's like was there just like a like a cultural thing happening in the seventies where like hey screaming women's fine like are you gonna do anything else mm-hmm. no it's fine just run around and scream and look pretty and faint <laughs> that's, yep. that's all we need from you here could you just imagine yeah. that now like you know Ghostface has got Nev Campbell cornered and she's like oh my and like cl- clutches her pearls and falls down people would be firebombing the movie screen. Oh, yeah, there'd be some Molotov cocktails <laughs> chucked at the big screen at that at theater, for sure. <laughs> Rotten tomatoes would just spontaneously combust. I mean, it would be pandelirium or even worse. Yeah, and it's, like I said, it's just, I don't know, it's just any shortcomings the first movie had, I feel I can forgive because, like you said, it seemed like everybody was really trying from everybody behind the camera to everybody on the camera. And in the second yeah. film, it just felt like all of those people had sat down and watched the first film and tried to emulate that just with a couple of different circumstances like, you know, Voodoo and Pam Greer. And it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just I hope at some point William Marshall was getting like some money from these when they would sell a couple of DVDs or something, because I can't imagine he was real excited once the second one came out and he was just like, oh, man, like this was not good. You know, you, you do one for yourself, you do one for the business. Um, I'm actually curious to see what he did after this. So, so Scream Blackula Scream comes out in 73. The next year, he does Abby. Uh, Twilight's Last Gleaming, The Great Skycopter Rescue. I mean, so he has a fairly deep... Oh, he's in Amazon Women on the Moon. Perfect. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> I have not. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. You have to watch Amazon Women on the Moon. It's fantastic. Um, it's one of my favorite movies. It's so it's it's like the Kentucky Fried movie. It's just a, it's like a collection of skits. But I mean, like, um, oh, what the hell is his name that used to have the talk show? Arsenio Hall. Arsenio oh, yeah. Hall versus the Apartment might be the like. Just go look it up on when we're done here. Just go look <laughs> it up on YouTube. Arsenio Hall versus the Apartment. It might be the funniest five minutes you'll ever spend. It's it's so funny. Um, <laughs> And then Maverick, Sorceress, and the last thing he did in 1996. Wow, he had a career from 1952, his filmography says. He had a career from 1952 to 1996. I mean, this guy got work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I remember him being in the Star Trek original series. He was on an episode of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he was all over the place, man. And, you know, like I said, I think he was a pretty good actor. Again, he's a tall, imposing guy. He had a super deep voice. So he was actually, I wish he would have done more horror films because I think he would have been great in it. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you, though. There's a part of me that's like almost afraid that, again, no one would have understood why his performance in Blackula was as memorable as it was. And he would just become a parody of himself as is wont to happen in Hollywood. Yeah, and then one thing I do love about this movie is, you know, they make a little voodoo doll of him. So there's this little Blackula doll, like, <laughs> three-quarters of the way through the movie. And I was like, man, I want that thing. And I actually think there is one now. I don't know if it's Mego or somebody, but somebody actually did, company did put out a little Blackula doll. Because I've seen it when I was at New York Comic Con a few years ago. But they were like 60 bucks for it. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> have you like you seen like like the uh, like Einstein action figures? I had a, I had a Jesus action figure with little wheels on the bottom uh, years ago, and that my <laughs> I actually gave my daughter to play with, so she would like have Jesus with the Barbies. It was great. Oh my gosh! But yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just it's they 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 tried here with this sequel, but they didn't try very hard, and you can tell they didn't try very hard when you watch it. It's just it's kind of a pretty no. much a, a big letdown. 
Yeah, very much so. Like, this is one of those deals where it's like just it's so funny when you're like, hey, I want to talk Blackula. Like, great, let's talk Blackula. End screen, Blackula scream. I'm like, all right, sure. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, we can talk about that one, but you know, <laughs> the wind will be yeah, out of our sails by the time we get to that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have nearly as many like cultural slash cinematic insights for Scream Blackula scream. It's like swing, swing and a miss, guys. Like, yeah, hey, look. Uh, let me say something nice. I, I always get accused of not being nice about film. It was in focus. <laughs> it was, you know, it was absolutely. <laughs> and nobody it farted seemed on competently. <laughs> yeah, there was nobody left a star. Nobody left a Starbucks cup or a bottle of water in frame. So good job. <laughs> yeah, that was the ending was kind of like uh, interesting, but not that great. It wasn't like at least the ending at the first one had some purpose to it. And this one was, you know, Blackula just started going crazy at the end and killing everybody on the scene and tried to kill Justin, Lisa's boyfriend. So she got his, her little voodoo doll of him and stabbed the voodoo doll. And that was enough to kill him. So, you know, that was how that one ended. But yeah. So if you're going to watch one of these, definitely watch the first one. That's what I would say. Uh, you don't really need to watch the second one unless you're just really, you know, like a masochist. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's not it's not like it lends anything to the, the story. It's not like the Empire Strikes Back or anything. It's like just watch Blackula and then, you know, you're good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you fall asleep during the sequel, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So. All right, my friend. Well, let's transition to what you have going on. So if anybody's looking to find you out there and listen to your stuff, like where can they find you out there in the uh, in the ether? All right. So. The website where you can find all of our podcasts, um, it's me and Sean Garmer. We're, we're kind of uh, holding up the fourth these days for the W2M Network. The site is w2mnet.com. Um, that's our website. All of our podcasts are posted there. Uh, it's, a, it's split right now between my old archive from... 2012 all the way through 2017 ish i think 2017 um and a lot of that stuff is audio only um but we started doing video about a year ago uh so the the newer stuff has both audio and video versions the video is on youtube again we're w2mnet.com on youtube if you just want to check out our uh, our live streams um as a as a as, I don't know when this is going to go up, but uh, every Tuesday we do. If you like my, you know, my thoughts on movies, um, over the past month or so, we've done reviews for uh, Fire Island and Master for uh, Pride Month. We've done reviews for Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, Spiderhead. And uh, Father of the Bride, the remake on HBO Max, Lightyear, Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. Another one for, uh, we had a couple of for Pride Month. Uh, we had a triple feature of But I'm a Cheerleader, Basic Instinct, and, gosh, oh, Stone Stonewall from Roland Emmerich. This is, hey, if you're the guy making, like, disaster porn, you should also be the guy handling, you know, gay rights movies. That's fine. That'll track. It'll be okay. <laughs> that um, sounds good. <clears throat> sounds relatable. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. He was the absolutely the guy with the deftest hand to handle such important material. Um, on the other side of that, mm. we've got. <laughs> we told you the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, mm-hmm. On the so some actual good queer cinema: Benedetta, Brokeback Mountain, and My Private Idaho. And then finally, for the month of June, uh, we have you will be depending on when you're listening to this. 
reviewing The Black Phone and Boz Lerman's Elvis. If you haven't had a chop opportunity to check out some of Boz Lerman's other films like Romeo and Juliet or Moulin Rouge, uh, please do so. Boz Lerman is fantastic, and I'm really looking forward, or by the time you've heard this, really enjoyed his take on Elvis. So uh, time travel. We also do a bunch of television. Um, we're actually working our way through the great works of David Simon. If you're not familiar with David Simon, he is responsible for The Wire, the best television show in the history of television. Like ever, all you white folks, you white people talk about your Sopranos <laughs> and your. <laughs> it's like, is he black? No, not at all. Um, you, you white folks talk about your Sopranos and your Breaking Beds and and, and your Walking Deads or whatever. I'm telling you, the best show in the history of peak television is The Wire, and David Simon's the man that brought it to you. So. We are going season by season through all the great works of David Simon. We just finished up his three-season run on Homicide, Life on the Street, based on the novel, uh, based on the uh, nonfiction book that he wrote about uh, murders in Baltimore. We are doing The Corner next, and then we are starting uh, The Wire, all five seasons, and then Treme, Generation Kill, all the way up through Show Me a Hero. But in the meantime, we just wrapped up our review of We Own This City which is the latest David Simon jam currently on HBO about the, the gun trace task force starring everyone's favorite Punisher, John Bernthal. So check all that out. Check out our other television reviews. Um, we do Star Trek. We've done the Orville, uh, all the Marvel shows, all the Star Wars shows, all of it. So just check that out in our archive. Please like and subscribe, w2mnet.com. Yeah, so if you couldn't tell, you Mark talks about a lot of stuff, <laughs> whether it's TV <laughs> or movies, horror, action. You talk about everything uh, under the sun with uh, entertainment, which is cool because usually everybody's like a very specific genre or something like that where you'll talk about a lot of different genres and, you know, like I said, TV, films or whatever. And then where else uh, can they find you uh, online? Twitter, right? Yes, I'm at uh, at Mark Radledge on Twitter. I'm Mark Radledge LCSW on Facebook. I'm Mark Kind seventy six on Snapchat, ladies, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and I believe I'm all <laughs> and I believe I'm also Mark Kind seventy six on TikTok. All right. Well, so yeah. Again, you're all over the place. Like you said too, you have a huge archive of stuff. Plus, you and uh, the other guys are still continuing to do stuff as well, like you know with the videos and stuff like that. So that's really cool. So, all right, my friend. Well. I want to let you go here, but thank you tremendously for being on. This was a lot of fun. I wanted to talk about you know this film, especially the first one, you know, uh, for a long time now. And as soon as I saw, you know, you guys covered it over your network, I'm like, oh, I got to have want to talk about that because I really liked a lot of what you had to say on there and a lot of your insights. So I thanks, man. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate you for having me on. Please don't hesitate to have me on again. If you want, I would be more than happy to do that. Cool. Awesome. I appreciate that, man. So, all right, well, I'm going to let you go right now and uh, come back for a wrap up in just a minute. Okay, everybody, that's going to wrap up this episode of the show. Once again, I want to thank uh, Mark. Uh, he's a great guy. He's uh, really into some crazy, good, cool movies. And if you're into pro wrestling, if you're into, you know, any genre of films at all, you know, comics, all that kind of stuff. He's he's all over the place with pop culture stuff. So check him out. You know, he's uh, on Twitter, and then you know he's on Facebook and TikTok. He's all over the place. So I'll have links in the uh, show notes. 
so you can look Mark up if you want to and, uh, you know, check out some of his stuff. Good guy, so definitely, uh, definitely check him out. All right, take care, everybody.